those Bibles. And while you're turning there, a note just in, if you are a parent and your child may have lost his or her retainer, it is at the Welcome Center. Well, the book of Ephesians shows us that the gospel is for all of life. And last week we saw how the structure of the letter of Ephesians make this, makes this clear. So the first three chapters of this letter to the Ephesians uh, demonstrates how the good news of God's blessings to us through Jesus um, are pervasive and more wonderful than we could have thought up on our own. And then the last three chapters show how believing this good news more and more deeply should and will transform our lives in every aspect of life. So the gospel of Jesus is for all of life. And so we've spent a couple months enjoying these gospel depths in Ephesians 1 through 3, and now we've turned the corner to this second half of the letter, but we're not leaving those gospel realities behind because we'll see repeatedly that the way in which the Apostle Paul who wrote this motivates various different behaviors uh, are, is rooted in certain realities of God's grace to us. So we never move on from the gospel. We only go deeper into it and are transformed by it. And so our text this morning shows us something similar to what we saw last week if you were here. It shows us what the church should look like and how we get there. So here's the goal of the church. Here's what the church should look like. According to this text we're about to read, it should have a Christ-like unity. It should be unified in pursuing a life together that begins to increasingly look like Jesus and feel like Jesus in His character. So the central goal, or a central goal of the church is to pursue this Christ-like unity together. So this is what the church should look like. And how do we get there? Well, one of the keys is this. According to the Ephesians 4, we'll read in a moment. It's by using the spiritual gifts that God has given every believer. So the key to gospel growth is a church culture where everyone helps everyone else grow to become like Jesus together. The key is a culture where every member uses his or her gifts to serve each other in everyday life. So this is about spiritual gifts. Now let's read this together, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, and we'll read through verse 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're gathering in these next moments to hear from You. We're grateful that in reading Your Word as we just did, we're hearing Your voice, and You transform us through speaking. So we thank You that Your words are actions, that You transform us as we hear. So we pray that You would give us clarity of understanding of what You say here in Your Word. We pray that our hearts would be responsive that we would repent and turn from whatever sins we need to and dispositions we we ever need to. We pray that we would be encouraged where you want to encourage us. We pray that you would be motivating us in ways that we need to be motivated, that we would uh, better reflect this vision of the local church that you have for us. We pray this uh, in reliance on your Spirit's work. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this is about spiritual gifts and how when every member contributes by using their gifts to serve one another in everyday life, we become what we're supposed to become, which is a local church that is unified and becomes more and more like Jesus. So, it's about spiritual gifts and how they're a key to creating a unified church that reflects Christ's character. So, we'll see three things about these gifts here, where they come from, how they work, and what they're for So we'll see their source, where they come from, their character, what they are, and their purpose, what they're for. So first, their source. Where do these gifts come from? Verse 7, the very first verse we read, you can read it again with me, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So when Paul says grace was given here, he's not referring to what we call saving grace, but instead what we can call serving grace. So God doesn't just give us grace initially when He accepts us into His family and adopts us as His children and forgives all of our sins. There, there's a loads of grace that come at us when we're initially rescued by His grace. But here we see that God keeps giving, and He keeps giving more and more grace. And one of the ways in which He gives grace is in giving this these gifts to serve. They're, it's grace in the form of spiritual gifts. And this says that serving grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us referring to any Christian involved in this. He's referring to these Christians in Ephesus. Every Christian that's part of this church, God's given a gift to. And that's true of every local church. All those who have come to Christ in faith have not only received the blessings of salvation, but with that, this, the blessings of these gifts. And then he says where these gifts are coming from. We're given these gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we get these spiritual gifts in accordance with the measure of Christ's giving, which means that we're not in control of this. You don't get to read a list of spiritual gifts and and pick which one or two you'd prefer. You don't choose. He does. Um, And that's actually the point of grace, isn't it? Grace at bottom is about God Himself giving to whom He will what He will. And so we receive even spiritual gifts on terms of complete sheer grace, and we receive it with thankfulness because we don't deserve it. So He decides, and in order to explain how Jesus gave gifts, He paraphrases, and this is where, I mean, this is fascinating to think about just 
It's not just God gives us gifts. Think about how this presents it. Paul paraphrases part of Psalm 68 from the Old Testament, and he gives a near quote of it in verse 8. It says this, Therefore, it says, quoting the psalm, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So this is a psalm that in its original context portrays God as Israel's king, and and he's a warrior king. And this portrays him as a warrior king who has defeated Israel's enemies. He's taken the enemies captives like kings would. And then the Lord is ascending up Mount Zion to be enthroned again in the temple. And as he's going, he's receiving gifts and receiving tribute from those whom they've conquered. And then the psalm ends with the Lord pouring out blessings upon his people. So the psalm pictures God descending to accomplish a great victory, And then he ascends and receives gifts and then blesses his people. And Paul recognizes that this is a pattern. This is how God works. He accomplishes victories for his people, and then he pours out blessings lavishly. And so Paul quoted this to say that God has done it again, but now ultimately through Jesus. Jesus descended to accomplish the greatest victory through his death and resurrection in history, 2,000 years ago, and he's defeated sin and death and Satan, and then he ascended, after his resurrection, he ascended to be enthroned over all things, and now he's pouring out his blessings on his church, and he's given us gifts. That's what Paul says here in verses 9 through 10 as he reflects on that psalm and its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So you can read this with me. In saying, he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things with his rule and his presence. So there's been a lot of discussion over the centuries about what Paul means when he says that Christ descended. Several different views. The two most plausible views in in my understanding would be this. First, some think think it refers to Jesus descending here in his incarnation to become a human and then going to the cross to die, be buried. Second, some think that it refers to Jesus descending to the place of the dead called Hades to proclaim his victory. So I think the first of these is most likely. I think he's referring to Jesus' descent from heaven to earth in his incarnation and his death to defeat sin and death and Satan, and then in his resurrection and then his ascension to heaven is what comes subsequently from there. But either way, the main point um, of this text here is what Jesus did after he descended and rose and ascended to heaven. What did he do? Well, he descended from heaven to accomplish a great victory And then he ascended as the true king over all things, and now he's pouring out his blessings upon his people, upon us. And he's pouring out gifts. He's giving gifts to his people. Now he's, in in the language of this text, he's filling all things by extending his presence and his blessing and his rule over the world through his people as his people continue to receive him and trust in him and get expanded through the world the lord's presence is filling the world as waters cover the sea so what are those gifts well they're the gifts of grace for service they're what we call spiritual gifts because they're called that elsewhere spirit given gifts here they're christ given gifts so whatever 
he means by these gifts. We can see how important these are. And what a blessing they are to the church. Right? Every one of us has received God's grace in this way if you're a believer. And it's because Jesus has accomplished this great victory in history. He's the king over all things. And he blesses and he blesses and he blesses because he's fundamentally a giver and not a taker. And he's filled his churches with gifts. He's given us saving grace and he's given us serving grace. And these gifts are viewed as the spoils of war. So that's leading now to our second question. What are spiritual gifts? So we see secondly their character. Verse 11 He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's interesting here that he he refers to these people as gifts. So the Lord's given people gifts themselves, and then he gives certain people who are gifted to the church as gifts themselves. And Paul isn't being exhaustive with this list. He's not saying that there's only five spiritual gifts you need to kind of find out what, what kind you are. These are actually uh, just a few. There's a total of maybe five different lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts, and you kind of add up the different gifts that are mentioned, and there's something like 20 or so, and it's probably not exhaustive. And so there are lots of gifts, and some of you may have several of them. Every believer has at least one. So the five listed here are actually a very specific kind of gift. They're the gifts God gives leaders for the work of planting and strengthening churches. They're the gifts God gives to help other people serve with their gifts. So the picture is that the Lord has filled the church with gifts, and every believer has them, and then He's also given certain kinds of leaders to have a role in planting churches and strengthening churches and equipping all the members to serve one another. You see the connection? Jesus gave these five types of people to be gifted leaders of the church, and the purpose here is to equip the saints, which isn't a special kind of Christian, it's a way of referring to all Christians, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the word ministry means service. So these five kinds of leaders are given to the church to help all the members of the church use their gifts to serve one another. So we're not going to spend much time this morning looking at each of these five gifts in detail. If you have questions about them, I'm happy to talk further, but we can walk through a few of them here quickly. In short, these are word-oriented gifts. They're leaders who speak God's Word to spread the gospel and strengthen the church. So apostles were sent out to be church-planting missionaries. They're leaders who speak God's Word to spread the gospel and strengthen the church. Prophets spoke God's words to God's people to encourage and strengthen them. Evangelists are gifted to share the message of Jesus with others. So if you've received this gift, you probably have found it a bit easier than others to share the message of Jesus with people and share how Jesus has transformed your life. You have a track record of lovingly yet boldly talking to people about who Jesus is and calling them to trust them, and you might have seen fruitfulness in your life for that. But there's another aspect of that gift to consider if you do have this gift, Um, And it's one we don't often think about, but look at what Paul says about these gifts that are listed. They're given, so some people are given as evangelists to equip the church to do the work of ministry, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So, you you know what that means? It means that if you're gifted as an evangelist, that gift comes with it uh, two great privileges. One, 
you are gifted by the Lord himself to spread the gospel and tell people about Jesus, but you're also given the privilege of helping other believers to do that. All of us are called to witness to Christ and be faithful witnesses. Every believer is called to share the gospel with others. So you can't sit here if you don't have that gift and say, you know, I'm just, that's just not my thing. I'm not good about that or good at that. And I'm so glad that we read this text this morning that said some people are, so they can go ahead and do it. Uh, we can't do that. Um, just like those of you who might be gifted with hospitality, it's not like the, the rest of us can think like, well, I'm glad they have open hearts and homes and we just, the rest can just kind of eat their food, right? Um, no, those who are gifted with hospitality, they, they take the lead in it, but they're pace setters. They're examples to the rest of us. So it comes more easily and naturally to them, and let's let them do it all the more, but they're also teaching all of us how to do it as well. The same with evangelism. If you have the gift of evangelism, the rest of us need you. We need you to help us. So as, as you talk to people about Jesus and you see the Lord doing work, encourage other believers with what happened and fill in the gaps. Help them understand what you said, how the conversation went. Um, if you have that gift, by the way, let me know. I'd love to partner with you to think how we can help us as a church grow from your gift because I think this is a, a, an area that we do need to grow in as a church family, is growing together in learning how to lovingly and boldly talk to people about Jesus. And so we want your help. We need your help if you have this gift. So... One temptation is for us to think that this doesn't matter if we're not gifted, but God has given evangelists to the church to help everyone. So, and the fourth gift here is shepherds. It can also be translated pastors. It's where we get the word pastor. Pastors care for the church. They care for church members like shepherds care for sheep. They lead the sheep and feed the sheep and encourage the sheep and guard the sheep. We have a number of people in our church family who are gifted as pastors and shepherds of the church family. And finally, teachers. This is closely linked to shepherds in the way that Paul wrote this in his grammar. This is because a primary way that shepherds care for the sheep, the sheep is by teaching. It's by feeding God's Word to people, nourishing the church with God's Word. So if you're, if you're gifted as kind of a shepherd and a pastor, one of the greatest things you can do is meet with people and open the Bible and read it together and talk about it together. One-on-one, -on -one, small group settings, other settings, what about the other gifts? So Paul doesn't list other gifts here, but we learn about them elsewhere. So some of you mentioned you may be gifted with hospitality. Hospitality is about opening your heart and opening your home to others. It's about making people feel welcome around you, especially outsiders or strangers. Some of you use that gift. You've used it this morning as you came early to encourage people and welcome people and fold people into relationships. It's a gift that's to be used all through the week in all sorts of situations through everyday life. Some of you are gifted with giving, giving generously. You find it easy and enjoyable to part with the funds that the Lord has given you to see His ministry go on. You give generously to our church family for its ministries and mission, and that's a gift, and we're grateful uh, for your generosity in the, the way the Lord has helped you. And, and you're not just, you know, again, we're not all kind of relying like, well, I'm glad we have a few people who give generously, right? No, you're a pace setter for us. And so the way in which you give gener generously encourages the rest of us to think about how the Lord has really, everything we have is from Him. And so how can we give generously to others because He's been so kind to us? And if you're gifted in that way, you, you're a pace setter for the rest.
Some of you are gifted with service. You love to serve with children or with music or with youth or in teaching in other ways or in blessing people and caring for people in different ways. So thank you for using your gift here, both on Sundays and in small groups and in everyday life friendships and relationships. Some of you are gifted as encouragers, and I'm so grateful personally for the way the Lord has strengthened me through you. Over the years, some of you have been such steady encouragers of me and I know of so many other people, and that is such an important gift in a local church, to have people be able to express esteem for one another and encourage and strengthen one another, to not give up hope and to keep going. Um, So it's a blessing. So there's many. Everyone has a gift, and everyone matters here. That's what that means. This is part of what the New Testament has in mind when it refers to believers as priests. Every believer is a priest, and together we're a priesthood, and called to minister and serve one another. So that's what spiritual gifts are. But now, why do they matter? We just have been considering a bit of that, but let's consider it more in detail here. So the purpose. This is what ultimately matters, and it's this. This is why Jesus has given gifts to the church. The purpose of spiritual gifts is the church's spiritual growth. Paul uses a number of different images to describe this. One of them is a picture of the, of the church as a body, the body of Christ. So it pictures Christ as the head, which is the authority of a body, the source of the body's life. So Christ is the head, and then the church is his body. He identifies completely with the church in this way. So Jesus considers us part of himself, his body, and he gives us gifts so that we can build this body that we're a part of up so that we can strengthen this body and see it grow to become more and more like Jesus. So we are His body, and the purpose of using our gifts as part of a church body is to help us together become a more true representation of Jesus in the world. So we're to grow into spiritual unity and maturity together. So from here, Paul gives several marks of what mature spiritual growth looks like as a church family. And these marks show us the purpose of using our gifts. So this is really important because I think so often when I've thought about spiritual gifts before, I kind of just stop uh, short of thinking through their ultimate purpose. It's like we're gifted to serve. So why? Because serving is important. You know, serve to serve. We should be serving. It's great when people serve. Wow, look at all the service. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He's got a massive, beautiful, big end goal in mind for the use of service. So let's consider these marks. First, one mark is growth as a community. One of the key marks of American uh, culture today is individualism. We value individual choice, individual freedom, individual preferences, individual expression. So many decisions that we make in our culture reflect that ultimate value of the individual, and that's partly a good thing influenced by the scriptures themselves and the Christian influence on Western culture, but Western cultures have become incredibly imbalanced here. The Bible affirms that our identity is both individual and communal. We really can't understand ourselves apart from understanding that we're created uniquely as individuals, but we also find our identity in community as part of our identity in relationships and as part of broader, larger communities. And when we miss this, we devalue the church. So we should not be surprised that in America, we, uh, as Christians, have a pretty low view of the church in general. We start to think of the local church as just an event that we attend, 
It's reflected in our language. What church do you attend? Right? That assumes the church is an event that you attend. Where do you go to church? That assumes the church is a location. Rather than thinking of it fundamentally as a body, a people, a family, we are the church. So, you know, I try to intentionally, even when I ask people, I say, what church are you a part of? Right? Because that's, we're a part of the church. We're a member of a, of a body. And so the focus of this whole section is not on individuals growing as I, in isolation and kind of using gifts to kind of help them just grow individually. It's about people growing together. It's about the growth of a local church together viewed as a body, not just a collection of human bodies. So look at verse 12. Leaders equip the church to use their gifts. Why? That's the question. Two, equip the saints for the work of ministry, and then a further purpose, for the building up of the body of Christ. So do you see that? Why are you and I called to serve and use our spiritual gifts? Why are we called to serve others? Not just to feel good about serving, but to build up the body of Christ as a community. And this image of building the body shows up again in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the picture of a local church. A local church is pictured as a body, and each part matters, and each part affects the other. And when each part is working properly, that body gets stronger and more mature. It grows. So here are a couple implications for how we think about spiritual growth, even in general. First, if you want to grow spiritually… What do you need? What's essential for you? Well, one of the answers is you need the gifts of other believers operating in your life. As you plug into a church family and get deeply connected, you will be helped. You will grow. You'll be encouraged. You'll become stronger in your faith. Discipleship, growing as a disciple and follower of Jesus, cannot fully happen apart from deeply embedding yourself in a local church community. And that's the assumption of this text pervasive in the New Testament. Second, another implication would be your goal for spiritual growth should not just be focused on yourself, but on the whole church body. Not even just isolated individuals, but thinking of the goal as contributing to the growth of a church family, a church body. The goal here is not just individual maturity, but the maturity of a local church. So picture yourself in a race. We're all running this race together. What should we be thinking about as we're running this race? According to this, we don't think that the goal is to get out ahead and cross the line first and run with all our might. Instead, the goal is to look around at this cluster around us and even slow down if we have to, to use our efforts to help other people move further. So we're all helping each other cross that line together. That's the picture of New Testament Christianity. Not just isolated individuals running, but us together making this happen. So if the church family that you are a part of, most of you would be this one, if you consider the church family to be weak in certain ways, that is partly your responsibility. You say, we are weak in this way, and you might have a role in strengthening people in giving and serving others. So this is what real church membership is about. It's about taking responsibility for the spiritual health of others and the community. It's recognizing that we don't just come here as mere consumers, 
but as givers and servers. So that's the first mark of spiritual maturity here. It's growth as a community. Second mark is growth in gospel doctrine, growth in faithful theology. So the next goal he gives is verse 13. We use our gifts until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So the unity of the faith here refers to When he says the faith, he's referring to the kind of core doctrines of the Christian faith. He's referring to the essential teachings about Jesus and Christianity as the faith. So if you're a Christian, one of the most important steps you can take to grow is learning faithful theology. It's learning who Jesus is so that you you think clearly about Jesus and you're actually following the real Jesus, not one that you've made up, following the real Jesus and, and what he actually did for us. What did he do in his life and death and resurrection? And what's the significance of that? What's he doing right now? What will he do when he returns? Who is he? What's he like? What's his heart? And here's why that's important, because of what he says in verse 14. You can read this with me. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I wonder if you felt like that before. Or if you do right now, you feel like you're maybe always blown about by different doctrines or teachings. You read a book and you're not even sure what to think about or get really excited about it. Then you read another book and then someone's like, I don't know about that one. And you're like, what's wrong with that one? You know, you just kind of tossed around uh, to and fro, carried along by various podcasts or things friends say or books who teach things that aren't actually biblical, but you aren't really sure even how to discern whether or not it's helpful or healthy because you haven't built a foundation yet, a foundation of essentials. So I'm so grateful for how so many of you have taken the initiative to develop a theological foundation and grow. I'm so thankful for how that's been part of the DNA of our church body from its beginning. I'm so grateful for how so many of you take the initiative to help others grow and meet with one another, to study the Bible together or study biblically saturated books um, in light of that. So if you don't already have a habit of reading and studying and meditating on God's Word, Uh, That's an essential. There's no substitution for it. Make the Bible the book of your life. And we can find help in community by meeting one one another to help us understand God's Word. And that's really what faithful books are too. They're brothers and sisters who have reflected on God's Word and they've written it down so that they can encourage us with the gift that God's given them. And so encourage you to read. Disciples are learners and leaders are readers. And so that's why we have the resource corner there. They're discipleship resources to help us grow. And they're leadership recommended resources so that we're not just tossed to and fro. So I encourage you to avail yourself of that as well. And if you have any questions about a book that someone does recommend you, um, I encourage you to reach out to an elder or pastor here. Verse 11 says that Jesus has given the church leaders to equip them for the work of ministry. So one of the roles of a leader and a shepherd and a teacher is to help all of us together to discern what is helpful and to help us grow in this theological foundation. So I think I have a spiritual gift that I haven't yet found in one of these lists, and I've mentioned it before, but it's my favorite spiritual gift, and that's the gift of book recommendations. So (laughs) if you need help, that's what's going on at the resource corner. And if you have a book and you're not sure what to think about it, ask me what I think about it. Um, I may not be right, but uh, I seek to be. So, the third mark of maturity is Christ-likeness now. It's our character. So, what's the ultimate measure of our maturity, right? It's not just how 
much serving is going on in a local church. That's part of it. That's a mark of health. It's got to be there. But what's the ultimate measure? So also not just our theological knowledge, though that's essential and has to be there and serves the maturity. The ultimate measure is Christ's likeness. It's becoming like Christ. It's transformation to become like God as he reveals himself in Jesus. So the rest of verse 13, notice he says, the goal is for us to develop into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're viewed as a body, a person, and rather than being children, we want to grow up in maturity to this mature manhood to be like Jesus, to be according to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And what is Jesus like? He's the greatest human being that ever lived. God himself become a man, expressing God's glory in all of his beautiful character in himself as a, as a human being. Fullness of love, humility, gentleness, patience, kindness, bearing with one another in love. In other words, Jesus looks a lot like what we saw last week at the very beginning of chapter 4, what we're called to be like. We're called to be transformed into his image. And do you remember this, this really significant cluster of words that shows up in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter? You can glance right up there again. Right? When the Apostle Paul makes his pivot to show how the gospel applies to all of life, the first character trait he mentions, humility. And then he goes on to talk about gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love and being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is like. And so we want to become like Him. The goal is, is for Jesus to pour out His gifts on the church, empowered by His Spirit, so that we're serving each other in everyday life in love, and we begin to reflect Him, reflect His character in the world, so that the world doesn't have to just remember what Jesus was like 2,000 years ago. They can see a glimpse of Him in local churches and how we relate to one another. And remember, this is a communal reality. It means it's not just growing individually to reflect Christ's character, that's part of it, but it's growing, um, cultivating a gospel culture among us, a culture that reflects Christ, and we have a tone of joy and peace and humility and patience with one another, a church that's eager to maintain unity and feels a sacred responsibility to fight off all forms of divisiveness. This is a foundation for how we're to think about ourselves and as a local church. So how does this happen? Well, the last mark is this. We speak the truth in love to one another. Verse 15, incredibly important couple words here. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to Him who is the head, into Christ. So we become like Christ, we become mature as a church family, a church body, as we speak the truth and love to one another. Now, these two words, truth and love, two of the most important words for understanding real Christianity. Truth here is not just about speaking honestly or truthfully, though that's necessary. When Paul refers to speaking truth in his letters, he almost is always referring either directly or indirectly to the truth of the gospel. Look back even in chapter 1, verse 13, and you can see he equates the truth with another phrase. He speaks about the truth, the word of the gospel. In other words, the truth, that is, the word of the gospel. So we grow together as we speak truthfully 
and we speak in particularly the truth about Jesus and His grace to us and all the blessings that come in knowing Him and the the transformed life that He gives us as we share with one another what we're learning about Jesus, as we talk together about the truths of Ephesians and Ephesians 1 through 3, as we talk about the gospel together. So every local church that's growing in its health will be marked by an increasing amount of gospel conversations. Jesus will be pervasively um, present in our conversations and our words. The second essential word here is love. We don't just speak the truth, we speak the truth in love with humility, gentleness, affection, kindness, patience for those whom we're speaking with and those whom we're speaking about. Okay, so truth in love. Now, there's a tendency to, for every one of us, I think, to lean into one or one of these or the other or neither. So, there's a danger in focusing on truth or love and then neglecting the other. So, here's what can happen. Those who are truth-tellers actually think they're being loving by being mere truth-tellers even though they don't have gentleness, patience, humility, respect, kindness coming through in their tone. So they can say something true, even true about God's Word, even true about Jesus, even true about Jesus' loving, humble character, and yet do so in a way that's kind of harsh, dismissive of people, disrespectful in tone. And then, for many examples of this, when they're called out, they'll say something like, well, the most loving thing you can do is tell the truth as if that excuses being a jerk. (laughs) So, and remember, I'm saying all of us have a tendency, one direction or another, right? So, let's just take some self-awareness here and just recognize that if you're a truth teller, it is true that speaking the truth is a form of love. But there's also an additional component alongside truth telling here that Paul's talking about, which is love, which is uh, really encapsulated by humble gentleness kindness of speech, gentleness of tone. As I've heard many times rightly from my wife, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Some of you may lean on the love side and you think that love is the most important thing and so it doesn't matter that we disagree about the truth. You tend to be maybe exasperated about people who in your view just get all worked up about doctrine. Doctrine divides. Come on, let's just love each other. That can be the tendency that can come out there. But this, this calls you not just to be loving, but to know gospel doctrine and to speak the truth in love. So those are the marks of maturity. I encourage you to maybe pick one of those and talk about it at lunch today um, with those whom you're with or dinner. So a few final implications before we go. First, every single Christian we've seen has at least one spiritual gift. If you are trusting in Jesus, He has not just blessed you with His presence and His forgiveness and His grace. He has equipped you with a gift, a unique gift that's necessary for us to experience and receive or people in your relational circles to experience and benefit from, which means every single member of a local church matters for the growth of the local church. You matter. What a privilege this is. The risen Christ accomplishes the victory, ascends to heaven, and just keeps giving and pours out blessing on each one of us. So, you matter. He's not just invited you to join the team and then you sit on the bench. He's given you a uniform and he said, get out on the field. We're all playing this game together and we all need every single person. There should be no such thing as a Christian who's not an integrated 
part of a local church family. So according to this vision, every single Christian has an important role to play in the relational health of a local church. That's pretty radical. It's not very common today to see it so clearly, to believe it like this. So that means we have to be incredibly intentional to cultivate this together as a church family. And it also means that each one of us, each one of you, has something to offer. Second, we should be incredibly grateful for one another as a church family. Our church has a long history of using and celebrating and cultivating gifts. So if you have the gift of hospitality, thank you. Thank you for using it, and we all encourage you to use it all the more. If you have the gift of service and you're serving in any one of the myriad ways, either here on Sundays or in your small group, in your relationships, thank you for using your gift and for serving. If you have the gift of encouragement, thank you for making our church family have a culture of encouragement where people feel like life is being breathed into them and they're encouraged to keep going. Third, this means that we all need to take real concrete practical steps to use our gifts. So how will you be involved if you're not already? Or what's another step you can take to be involved in building people up to help them grow to become like Jesus? Are you taking responsibility? Do you have a sense of responsibility for others in this church family to help them grow to become like Jesus? Are you thinking about different people in this church family whom you want to befriend or serve in some way? If your gift is hospitality, are you opening your home or opening your heart to others? If your gift is giving, are you giving generously to the church and its ministries? And are you helping be a pace setter for others? If your gift is teaching, are you meeting with people to help them grow as Christians? Are you getting the Bible open in these conversations to help people grow? If your gift is serving, are you serving in different ways? Are you responsive to the needs around you? If your gift is encouragement, are you embracing this and looking for ways to look people in the eyes and speak encouragement to them and send texts and emails and notes to them for encouragement? And it's important for us not to just think about how these operate on a Sunday morning. I think we can often go there quickly. If you have a gift, where are you going to use it on Sunday morning? But that's not necessarily the, the only place that we gather as a church, the only way the church works, right? We're a body that operates in everyday life, which means churches, for them to be healthy, have to be viewed more than just an event, but have to be viewed as a network of overlapping relationships where we're in each other's lives throughout the week, and those are, the, those are primary places where we use our gifts, where we bless each other, we serve each other, we encourage each other, we teach each other, we comfort one another. Um, so look for opportunities to keep getting in each other's lives and pursue each other and take initiative and then think, how do I use my spiritual gift in this relationship or in this small group or it, with these people? That's a primary place in which we um, use our gifts. We use them organically. And we also do use them, of course, Sunday morning. So as you hear about needs presented for volunteers or gifts in certain ways, uh, respond to those happily, joyfully to say, I want to serve with my gift. Fourth, if you're not sure what your gift is, that's okay. Just look for needs and jump in. I mean, there's, there's gift surveys, and you can kind of check those, and those are helpful to some degree, but those often, for, in my experience, they just tell you what you think's important. Um, for instance, I, I remember when I took one of those a long time ago, it told me that I was gifted to be a shepherd and a teacher, but I had never taught anyone anything. So I was like, how does it know? 
How does it know I have a gift? What it did show me, though, as I looked back, is I was checking all the boxes when it's like, is this important or is this important? Hate false choices, but they make you pick. So I'm like, well, this is important. I kept choosing these kinds of things, and that showed me, well, I really care about people being cared for and knowing the truth and being shepherded. And so it at least showed me, it didn't tell me I'm good at it, but it showed me I at least care about it. And that, that can be a sign. But we often just find what we're gifted at by trying. Just jump in, meet needs, be responsive, help people out, and then see what seems to be working. See how the Spirit seems to use you. And then finally, remember the whole point. Jesus. Jesus has rescued us. He has poured out gifts on us. We, if He didn't do that, we would be walking in spiritual darkness, inveterably selfish, just turned in on ourselves, on our way to an eternity of condemnation. And He has come. And he has descended for us. And he lived this radiantly beautiful life where all these gifts were manifest in encouragement and humble kindness and service. He said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he was, he did die as a ransom for us. And then he was raised from the dead, conquering death. He ascended to heaven as the king over all creation, blessing the church, pouring out gifts. It's all about him. And then he, by his Spirit's power, is helping us to serve one another so that not just individually, but together, we become to look a little bit more like Jesus. To the surprise and astonishment of all of us in the washing world, because it's supernatural. So, if, as you serve, let's serve for his sake, because that's the point. And if you don't yet know Jesus, you're welcome today. You don't need to begin serving and proving yourself to him or anyone else before he would accept you. His saving grace comes first. He receives you on terms of grace. You give your whole self to him, and you can do that even now. And then he also gives you serving grace to be integrated into our church family as a brother or sister to help us grow. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us this vision of church life that we could never make up on our own, and even if we did, we could never pull it off on our own. But you have revealed it to us, and you are empowering us to fulfill this. We thank you for the years and decades that you have been working among our church body in these ways, and we pray that you would do it all the more in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. And we pray that you would surprise us even with how you do this work so that we we continue to have an increasing sense that our life together is a supernatural reality and that we learn more about who you are through Jesus even in seeing the way that you gift us and bless us to create a culture that reflects your character. So please help us to embrace this beautiful vision of being the body of Christ and serving one another in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together and receive a benediction from God's Word. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope and serve one another in love. Go in peace.